excuse me, and 24th. Uh, we're continuing with our series on 1 Peter. This is week number eight. I've entitled this message, The New Priesthood. So, <coughs> excuse me, what would you say uh, you are when it comes to importance of God's spiritual house? Are you an important part of God's church family? I mean, what I mean by that, of course, everybody's important, right? That's the easy, politically correct answer. But what I really mean is, are you fulfilling an important role as an intermediary, a conduit for God's love to others, a conduit to God's love for one another and to those perhaps outside of our church family? How can we become... How can we avoid becoming people who are just taking when it comes to God's spiritual house? And if you've listened to the message on 1 Peter, you know God's spiritual house is not a building. It's made up of these living stones that he's chosen before the foundation of the world. We talked about that in 1 Peter already. But how can you become people <clears throat> who aren't just consuming in God's spiritual house? People who are mostly receiving as opposed to also serving. I feel like American churches as a whole are filled with people like this, where Jesus is really, <clears throat> excuse me, seen as a pathway to forgiveness, and maybe even like a cheat code for eternal life. Those who have been received, who have received his forgiveness, have also, also however, been called to be conduits and intermediaries of his love and mercy to others. Peter calls it today in this passage the royal priesthood, a nation of people who are relentless in their service to God on behalf of those around us. Let's look at our passage today. <coughs> Excuse me. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. <clears throat> Excuse me. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh, which wage, against, wage war against your soul. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable, so when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. <clears throat> At Grace Life, we look at each passage three ways. The first way we look at it is the historical application. What about man, and what did he do, and why, and how did he do it? I've called this section the priesthood, <clears throat> particularly the old priesthood. So these priests in the Old Testament have a very important role. Before Jesus, temple priests were called to serve as intermediaries and conduits between God <clears throat> and his people. And the temple was the house of God. And that's where Jews would make their long and costly annual pilgrimages to Jerusalem for the Day of Atonement and other things. And these priests were highly trained. They were responsible for all the temple sacrifices and <clears throat> carrying out the ceremonies and all the feasts that were commanded in the Old Testament. And in each one of these rituals, these Jewish rituals, were designed by God as proclamations about the desperate, desperate plight of human depravity and our need for someone to intervene on our behalf. The message was clear. All humans are sinful, so sinful they can't even approach God on their own, and they desperately need someone to intervene if they're going to connect with God in any meaningful way. And these priests were a very special <clears throat> chosen few. They were the most elevated and respected people in Jewish culture. Excuse me for just a moment. 
technology glitch. Okay. These people were the most elevated, respected people in Jewish culture. I mean, being a member of the temple priesthood was the greatest you could hope for. <clears throat> Only a special few chosen could become priest. It was extre an extremely exclusive, venerated club. Young children, when they were young, <clears throat> they didn't aspire to become priests. It wasn't like, you know, when I grow up, I'm going to PSU, Priest State University. I just made that up right off the bat right here. <clears throat> that wasn't even my notes. I just made that up. I'm going to get me one of them fancy priest cloaks, one of them big fancy hats, and I'm going to do priest things. No, actually, temple priests were chosen from one tribe, the tribe of Levites, and they were chosen at an early age. They were trained for many years in a rigorous process. A Levite mom, a mom from this Levite tribe, her greatest hope was to give birth to a boy that could maybe be chosen to be a temple priest. <clears throat> and these temple priests were expected to be humble and honest and relentless servants of God on behalf of the people, these conduits between God and the people. And Jesus, vener uh, Jews venerated this priesthood almost as much as they did the temple itself. And the temple, frankly, would have been useless without them. But Peter talks about this new priesthood. <clears throat> Remember last week when we learned that Peter has just declared these Gentile believers as living stones that build up this new spiritual house of God, this new temple? A spiritual house superior to the old temple that was only made of regular rocks. This was, an, of course, an offensive message to those Jews who revered the temple. But Peter now goes even further. Not only has their precious temple been replaced by this church, this group of people, but the priests have been replaced too. And he quotes once again, as he's gone done throughout 1 Peter, he quotes another Old Testament passage as the foundation of this new priesthood. Exodus 19, I'm just going to read it to you. You shall be my treasured possession among all peoples, for all the earth is mine. You shall be, you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. By the way, do you see the similarities between the phrase in Exodus I just read and the one I read earlier in 1 Peter? I mean, can you imagine how ticked off people got when he said, by the way, you Gentiles, you are the people that Moses was talking about in Exodus. Well, no, they weren't. The Levite priests were. Peter says, no, the new living stones are. <clears throat> and he says, this new priesthood is no longer going to be chosen from among Levites, but from all tribes all nations of the world by God himself. So that's the history of the passage and why this would be sort of an offensive message. Look at the spiritual part. This is answering the questions, what about God? What did he do and why and how does he do it? I'm going to talk about this kingdom of priests. Peter inspires this, this suffering church that is uh, having tremendous persecution, and he describes what God has called them to do. He has called them to be part of this royal priesthood. God has chosen this new priesthood. And by the way, you notice this theme of chosen, starting in 1 Peter 1, continues into 1 Peter chapter 2. This idea that God chooses and God calls and sanctifies. And now Peter describes, look, you've not only been called, but you now have a tremendous responsibility. These chosen living stones, both Jews and Gentiles, making up this church that is under constant persecution from Nero together, they become part of this new holy priesthood, this global priesthood that replaces the old one. This new priesthood is free from the burdens of ceremonies and sacrifices and these fancy, ridiculous, uncomfortable hats they wore. And the robes, they're hot. They don't have to wear those anymore. 
And they're also free from the burden of this building of stone that housed it all. This new priesthood is superior in power through the Holy Spirit and the gospel. It's superior in number. It counts all people who have been chosen by God. And it's superior in its importance. And he lays out their calling. He says, you have three callings as these priests. You have three callings. The first one is to proclaim the gospel. The second one is to live with an integrity. And the third one is to do whatever job you have in your life with excellence. These are the three things that Peter describes. So let's talk about the first one. This is a Greek word. The word is exangelate. I know that's fancy, right? I'm just showing off. It actually comes from the Greek word angelos, which means messenger or angel. And the root of this word, exangelate, is actually the word evangelist. And what this word means is to make known through proclaiming, through worship or celebration. A good translation for us to, today would be to, be to evangelize, to share the good news. <clears throat> the first job of this new priesthood is to preach and proclaim the gospel of Jesus. Matter of fact, and Peter said in chapter 1, verse 12, that gospel that was preached to you, that you heard and accepted, you are now to preach that same gospel to others. <clears throat> and next, Peter commands that they are to abstain from the passions of the flesh and keep an honorable conduct. Here's another Greek word. It's a fascinating word. Anastrophe. Now, ana is a prefix, which means alongside of. Right alongside. And strophe, we actually get the English word, without going through all the details, the English word stanza, which means that's part of a song or part of a book. And so what he describes is you are to have a conduct or lifestyle alongside of your proclamation, a lifestyle that lines up with this gospel that you are proclaiming. It says proclaim the gospel, but then also live a life that's right alongside of it, sort of like another verse in your proclamation, which is the way you live. Be sure your conduct doesn't open you to scorn. Don't look like a hypocrite, as the former priesthood did. Have conduct that is so in line with the gospel you're proclaiming that when you are slandered, and you will be, people will know it's not true. Then the last thing he says is this Greek word, ergon. It simply means your work, your industry, your creation, what you do for a living. You could be a fisherman, a lawyer, a farmer, raising kids, or whatever. Do it with extreme excellence. Make every effort you can to be the best at what you do, the best you can be, whatever it is. Don't just squeak by. You need to be great at your job. If you're a doctor, Peter's calling you to be an evangelistic, hardworking doctor with integrity. If you're a musician, be an evangelistic, practiced and skilled musician who lives righteously. If you're a waiter, a driver, a counselor, whatever. Whatever your job is, don't be bad at your job. This also includes how you would do business with those who aren't part of this spiritual house. People who are outside of God's church. These three roles together are the calling of this new priesthood. And they are, in fact, a natural result for those who have been called to be living stones, part of the church. You will proclaim. Somehow you won't be able to shut up about it. You will live a life a lifestyle, a conduct that goes right alongside with your proclamation so it's not a conflicting message. And whatever your job is, you will have a desire to do it as best as you can. 
because let's talk about the personal section. I want to talk about your priesthood. This was the sermon preview this week. God doesn't call freeloading citizens into his kingdom. Every member has been tasked with mandatory spiritual and earthly service. I talked about cheat codes earlier. Do you guys ever hear video game people talk about cheat codes? Any of you? Too many see Jesus as a cheat code to forgiveness and grace in heaven. Jesus is so much more than a forgiveness cheat code. Forgiveness is one small part of what we get when we are called living stones. You are also called to this mandatory responsibility as a chosen royal nation of priests. And what kind of priest are you today? How are you doing in these three areas I just described? Your proclamation, the life you live alongside of your proclamation, and you are striving to be as best as you can be at your job. Are there things hindering you from being the best priest you could be? Some of us are partial priests. We're good at maybe one of these things or maybe two of these important roles. But God has called us to be good at all three. And I think many times we have a lot of excuses and reasons why we're neglecting our priesthood. There's many of them. Remember, Peter was commanding these disciples, these Christians, who if they spoke up about Jesus and proclaimed the gospel, what would happen? Nero would have them killed. That's who he's saying, make sure you fulfill your role as intermediaries between those who don't know Jesus and God himself. So any of our excuses are kind of, eh. <laughs> the first excuse I hear from people all the time about why they're not serving is they just don't feel good enough. You just can't see yourself as one of God's chosen royal priests. I mean, you want to be, but you feel like you're just something a little bit lower than that. You have too much to learn. You haven't really known Jesus long enough. Maybe you don't believe you have enough to offer this new priesthood. You don't have the maturity. You don't have the gifts or the skills. I think this mindset of I'm not there yet shows that you don't quite understand how awesome and powerful Christ is in your heart and life. The Christ who, by the way, no longer lives in a building like he did in the Old Testament, but he dwells within this spiritual house. Not being good enough is not a legitimate excuse to not be a priest. Anyone who's been redeemed has a story to proclaim. I heard one this morning that was amazing. We'll talk some more about that later. But anyone who's also been redeemed also has the ability to live a life which, whose conduct is alongside of the gospel. It is not a contradiction. And anyone who's been proclaimed and called into this priesthood can also live with integrity and do a good job at their work. So not good enough is not an excuse. Another one I hear is, I don't have any time right now. I think what happens is some people love other roles they have in this world too much to be willing to sacrifice time to be part of this royal priesthood. Maybe your job is your excuse. Maybe it's a weekend hobby. Maybe it's a more righteous excuse. And don't take this the wrong way. Of course, family is priority. But I think many times we can easily use family as an excuse to not serve, can't we? 
This is a very troubling passage that many people don't understand. Look what Jesus says. If anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother and wife and children and brothers and sisters, yes, even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. Certainly he didn't mean that, did he? Look, Jesus isn't commanding us to hate our family. He's talking about our priority as part of the royal priesthood is more important than anything else. As a matter of fact, later on, he teaches us once that priority is in line, these other things begin to fall into place. Look, we cannot just be those who are concerned with how to survive, how to make sure we have a comfortable spiritual life for our family. And I believe if you truly analyze how you spend all your time during the week, I bet you'll find that you have more time for the priesthood than you really realize. But I think the biggest reason that people aren't the priests they should be is this last one. They have no love. I think the reason Americans in churches fail in our priesthood, it's not because of our time. It's not because of our skill. We just don't love God or each other enough. That's all. We love other roles more than we love each other. Or we love other things more than we do God's kingdom. And because of that, we become distracted. We can become selfish. And then we become lazy priests. And the church begins to become merely, and, and I want to say this carefully because I struggle with this too. The church becomes merely a place to get our spiritual, emotional, and physical needs met. And then we leave from here and start to go out and build our own kingdom. Matter of fact, some of these would-be priests will hop around from one spiritual house to another looking for the best menu of items to choose from to get what we need from the church. This church has this better. This church has that better. This church does this better. This church is terrible at that. We choose from a menu option of things that we can love, things that will help serve us, instead of opportunities to love and serve others. What if that's what we look for when we went to a church? Where are the options that I can just get in and be a conduit between God and people who want to know him better? What can I do? See, what happens is people begin to want other good priests to serve them. We want to thrive in our own little kingdom more than we do in God's kingdom. And then, you know, some people have so little love, they don't even think they need to be a part of a spiritual house. It's not even that important. And they become secluded priests. They don't really take the time to develop real, meaningful relationships, especially the messy, inconvenient ones that the church is full of, especially a church like this. Look at you people. You're all dysfunctional. <clears throat> but we don't want to be bothered. We don't want to take the time. <clears throat> I got news for you. Priests cannot live in secluded spiritual bubbles. He or she must be connected, serving together with other living stones that are in the priesthood. You have to be. And let's talk about these chosen priests that we are. I believe that truly knowing Jesus, truly being called by him to be a part of the church will naturally inspire us to be the best member of this royal priesthood we could possibly be. 
The old priesthood did all the ceremonial sacrifices, right? Well, this new priesthood sacrifices through service, through time, through love, through money, even if necessary, our very life. <clears throat> Look what Paul says in Romans 12.1. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, <clears throat> because of or by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. And I've often told you the best way to translate that is, which is the least you can do. Reasonable service, the least you can do. God does not call you to be a part of a spiritual house of beautiful living stones just to have you sit around and consume. We must understand that we are, as precious living stones, chosen to be a part of something far greater than ourselves. <clears throat> precious living stones making up this particular corner of God's spiritual house at Grace Life must be an active part of a sacrificial royal priesthood. A kingdom of priests fulfilling the role of divinely appointed intermediaries connecting people with the Father. I mean, who else can be the divinely appointed intermediary between God and your neighbors, your co-workers, your extended family, your friends, all those who are seeking the truth and may not even realize it. Who else can be the intermediary? I cannot. It has to be you. You're the one to pray for them, to serve them, to proclaim the gospel, to live a life of good conduct and good work. I'll give you an example in my life. I did not want to do this. A year ago, I agreed to become, and if you know me at all, the libertarian streak in me, I agreed to become the president of our homeowners association. Yeah. Yeah. Hey, Joe, you're a pastor, right? Yes, great. Would you be our homeowner association president? Inside, in the back of my head, I'm thinking, you must be on crack. You're asking me? I'm going to let everyone do whatever they want. I don't care. Well, until it affects my house, then you've got to stop. But... So I've taken on this role of serving my neighborhood as homeowner association president, dealing with conflicts between neighbors. They're not mowing their yard enough. Usually that's them complaining about me. But anyway, they're not mowing their yard. Sorry, Scotty, you do a great job. I'm sorry I didn't mean to bring that up. You know, this neighbor's yard is too messy, and this neighbor's yard is too clean. We had one of those, by the way. They were doing too good a job. And people are building these sheds that are too big, dealing with conflict all the time. The neighborhood next door is invading us too much with all their stuff. And so dealing with that stuff, and that's me, you know, I don't want to do it, but I'm going to serve as a conduit and try to do it as best I can, the best HOA president I can possibly be. That's who you are. That's who God has called you to be. Part of a royal kingdom of priests and divine intermediaries. A grace lifer I met with this week told me a story about a patriarch in their family who lived as a priest for those around them for years. How he lived his life, even how he lived in his dying, his proclamation, his lifestyle, his diligence, drew his family and his closest friends to Jesus. Next week, listen, by the way, you have a special treat next week. You're going to hear up here during the sermon time from one of our dear brothers in Christ, Pedro. 
He is a fantastic royal priest. You know what he does every week? He and his wife, every Friday, they get in their car and they drive all over the southeast to different juvenile detention centers, taking the gospel with a team that they've assembled. Eight to ten people, they go in, they love, they care, they pray, they counsel, they preach, and they return to these places over and over again. Boy, how is that for a conduit between people who want Jesus and God himself? Isn't that awesome? I heard a story this morning of our brother Al being a conduit between people. I, I did not plan this. It was somebody came in and they said, I've been talking with Al about the book of Jonah and, and he was teaching me what he was learning and, and I was learning more about God and Christ and I started watching some of the other streams on First Peter and, and to me, I just started crying. I said, that's our Al. Right? A royal priest who was up here every week singing and caring for us and caring for those he ran into. So you want to be a better priest today? So where do you start? Joe, I hear it. I got it. I understand. I need to do better. Where do I go? Well, I can tell you this. You can't do it without the rest of your spiritual house. If you think you can be a better royal priest without connecting with a group of people that are in your fellowship, you're kidding yourself. You and your family together must be a relentless part of this spiritual house, loving one another, being together, learning, serving together, encouraging one another, providing intimate accountability for each other. And then you know what happens when you do that? Just trust me, it will. Something beautiful takes place. You will begin looking at the menu options of service instead of those you consume. And at that point, you will begin to say, where are the people that I can be the bridge, the conduit between God and those who are hurting? Church, this is our calling. We are a spiritual house built of living stones God has chosen, as Peter says, before the foundation of the world. And not only has he chosen us, he has sanctified us, he has saved us, he's forgiven us, and he's called us to be a part of a holy nation, a royal priesthood, God's chosen people. And we are to fulfill that job by proclaiming living a lifestyle that isn't contradicting what we proclaim, and then being the best that we can be at the jobs that God gives us. Heavenly Father, first of all, we're thankful that you have forgiven us. You've given us mercy and grace and the opportunity for eternal life, and that is wonderful. But God, now we know that it's so much more than that. Lord, we don't want just to be consumers. We don't want to see you as a cheat code for forgiveness. We want to be a part of your holy nation. Lord, I pray that in the hearts of those who are here in the room and for the many who are listening on the live stream, wherever they may be, I pray that you would fill their heart with a desire to start looking at the menu options for service instead of consuming. Lord, help us to begin to become creative in how we figure out ways to be a conduit of your love and mercy and grace to a hurting world because this royal priesthood you have called is the only group that can do it.
ask for these things. In Jesus' name, amen. Royal priesthood, we love you. Go out this week and look for ways to be a conduit of God's mercy to those around you. Thank you.